0: I um This, this week, I, I was reading uh, Deuteronomy and my devotions, and I came, came across this text from Deuteronomy 32. And um, I just wanted to share this. It, this is what's written. It says, Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. And um, I was refreshed by those words, remembering who my God is and that his word is good, it is life-giving, it is refreshing. And um, I, my hope and my prayer is that it is that for us this morning. And uh, he goes on, uh, goes on, and, and he writes a bit more, but one of the things that he writes that I think is sometimes lost, and that we forgot. Um, he says this in, in verse 8 of 32 into verse 9. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of sons of Israel. And then he says this, For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. He, um, I like that because it reminds me, we are God's inheritance. Like We are God's special possession. We are like the apple of, of his eye. Um, we are kind of what is most important to him. And then Moses goes on and, and he writes about how God provided and did all these things and, and and gave gave to Israel and and how after he did all that they rejected him. How he fatted them like calves and then and gave them everything they could possibly want. And then they turned to these other gods, he or they will turn to these other gods and, and worship and worship them. And and he goes on to say that when that happens, God is going to make things very difficult for Israel. And he's going to take his hand of blessing away. And he's going to let them have what they chase after these other gods that are not really gods at all. And he said, what is going to happen is, is they're going to find in verse 31 for their rock is not like our rock, he says, as even our enemies concede. And he basically says that you, you can chase after the, these, these, these other gods, but they're not real, they're not valid. They're not going to give you what I, I want to give you, what I can give you. And I want to be your rock because you are my treasured possession. You are my inheritance. And he says in verse 39, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. We, um, when we come here on Sundays or when you um, get together for a Bible study with other believers or when you do your devotions personally, kind of day-to-day, week week-to-week, I think we would always be wise to remember that we are spending time with a God that is real. Not one that is... Like Casper the Friendly Ghost, or, or not one that purports to be able to do things that can't. But our God, I think we sometimes lose this because, I, particularly me, I'm so sort of tactile. Like I, I'm, I'm I, I, you know, I, I like evidence. I, I like to see things to know that they're actually there. Um, and sometimes we we struggle like um, because God it, it does not have like a physical substance to him like to to know that there's something that we can hold t- onto, And I think sometimes because of that, he doesn't seem real, but, but he is. And if we, actually Maggie asked me last night, how do you know God is real, Daddy? How do you know that this is actual reality? And um, where we kind of got is that God really wants to reveal himself to us, if we really want to know him. If we don't want to know him, like if we're just trying to disprove him, like we, we we want to be able to say to people, well, I asked him for this and he didn't do it, so he must not be real, then, then we're not going to see him. But if you really want to know him, if you really want to experience him, he wants to show you. Because we are his inheritance. <laughs> you are the apple of his eye. You are the little... Chicks, uh, and he wants to spread his feathers over you and protect you. He wants you to know how real he is, and he will reveal himself if you want to know him. And so this morning, or in your personal devotions, or wherever, whatever time you're, you're in the Word, but especially today, since we're together this morning, I want to take a moment just to pray for us, to ask him to open our hearts to him, so that we could go with, to him with proper motivation, proper kind of like um, attitude, and actually get to know him a little bit better this morning. Actually get to see him through his word. Actually get to experience him through the Holy Spirit. So we don't just leave here having heard a nice sermon and sung some pretty songs and said hi and had a little bit of fellowship together. So we can really leave here having had an experience with the eternal God. That's what he wants that's what I want for us. And if that's what you want today, he wants that for you as well. So will you pray with me? Father, um, we thank you this morning for loving us, for wanting us. You know, so often like I look at myself and I realize that I'm really not all that I don't think this is even a word, Lord, but wantable. Like I I'm not really that valuable. I I do a lot of stuff, and I think a lot of stuff, and I say a lot of stuff that I shouldn't. I get frustrated with people for things that I shouldn't get frustrated for things that I do a thousand times over. And I, I don't a lot of times even live as though you're real. I go about my life just doing my own thing for my own motives and for my own gratification. So when I think about that, I realize like how unworthy I am. Yet, you want me. Yet, you love me. I'm like your inheritance. We are your inheritance. Like, and that blows me away. And I would just humbly ask in Jesus' name right now that your Holy Spirit would open all of us that to a greater level. Lord, as we get into your Word, as we spend time together, that you would open us to your Spirit so that we could be taken more deeply into your truth and into holiness. And and Lord, that we could be changed through our time with you today. Please open the eyes of our heart. Please open our spiritual ears. And let us just commune, just kind of be with you today. We love you. We thank you for who you are and all that you do. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you have a Bible, um, open to Matthew chapter 7. We are um, finishing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, It's been a long haul. It's been almost six months that we've been in these three chapters. or Two and a half, I guess, really. Um, But we're going to finish up today um, with a story um, that is probably, or uh, some words of Jesus that are probably pretty familiar to to many of you, Um, but... Incredibly powerful and challenging, and and, and valuable for us um, as followers of of Jesus. So we're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to work through the end of um, towards the end of the chapter. Um, but Jesus says this. He says, "Now to everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or I'm sorry, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, um, as I mentioned, we're, we're closing out the, the sermon on, on the mount today. It has been a great Journey to work through this, and this is kind of like the culmination of 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 it here in in chapter seven. And and it's a like much of the rest of the sermon on the mount. It's a difficult teaching that for me anyway, and I think for many of us probably hits pretty close to home. And, and it's one that I think we we have to take to heart if we're going to walk in the righteousness and holiness that God desires for us to walk. And be considered one of his own as, as his inheritance. So Jesus here says the words says that um, just saying the words Lord, Lord, or doing amazing feats like miracles, like exercising demons, um, like like prophesying, doesn't qualify you. As a follower of Jesus. He says, actions aren't enough. Words aren't enough. And for me, as I sometimes, maybe for you, sometimes as I read through this, it seems kind of confusing uh, to me. Um, it sounds sometimes it sounds like it's just never enough for the Lord. It doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter how I act. I just It just seems like it's never quite getting me there. Every time, like, I think I've arrived there, like something else is tacked on to what I have to do in order to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be what we would call a Christian. It just seems like sometimes the finish line keeps getting moved. And just when you arrived, there's something else to do. And I get worn out, or I get tired, or maybe some of you sometimes feel like you just want to throw in the towel. Fortunately, I think what we're going to find today is that actually just isn't the case. Sometimes I, I read the scripture in a, my own understanding, and, and because of that, I, I misinterpret what it's, what it's saying, and And fortunately, that's not what God's saying at all. He's not going to continue to move the finish line. And He doesn't tack anything extra on to to things that you have to do or say uh, in order to be a follower of Jesus. But I understand why we sometimes can feel that way. I've, I've been there. Jesus makes clear in verses 21 to 27 of Matthew chapter 7 that with our mouths, we must confess Jesus is Lord. And we must also both hear and do what He asks of us. We, we have to confess Him as Lord. We have to hear the truth. We can't simply... There is no way you can live a truth that you don't know. Right? It's vitally important that we learn the truth of Scripture, which is why we meet here every Sunday. Which is why we have Bible studies that we go to. Which is why like uh, Bill and Mickey teach on Sunday mornings before we come into a large group. It's why our kids and our youth go to a Bible study in, on Sunday mornings. It's, it, it, it's why we do personal devotions. Because you can't love, we've mentioned this earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, but you can't love something you don't know. You can't follow someone that you don't, that's not leading. It's, it's impossible to teach a lesson we haven't learned. It would be like it would be hard for a a person to be expected to play rugby if they had only ever been trained to play tennis, right? Because the rules are different, the equipment is different, the 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 format is different, the field is different. You just you can't do that. I I can't bake. It would be impossible for you to expect me to bake a cake without a recipe because I wouldn't know how to do it. We're gonna part of what the youth are gonna be doing on the mission trip is making baked goods and and then taking them to first responders and praying for them. And Luke said, Should I bring my recipe for shoe fly pie? And I was like, Yes, for me. I don't know if we're gonna need it for the first responders, but definitely bring it for me. But like, you need to know you can't just expect somebody to make a pie without any direction. And similarly, Jesus says, we must hear. It's vitally important that we learn the truth, the gospel, the teachings of Jesus. In order to do what He says, to follow Him, to be one of His own, we can't live a truth that we don't know. We don't know the truth unless we get to know Him, who is the truth. As I read this, study this section. Here is some of my struggle. He's, Jesus says, "Lord," Jesus says that. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Then he goes on to comment that some of the people who do the things that apparently are of God, like casting out demons and prophesying and doing all these things, that they will end up before Jesus having done the things that apparently were supposed to do, and he will say, away from me. I don't know you. So, They do good things in his name, but yet he rejects them. He said in verse 21, he who does his will will enter the kingdom of heaven, but then, like, in 23, the people who have done his will apparently are being rejected by him. How does that work out? Like, how do we make sense of that? Like, I get why sometimes we're confused about this, because he seems to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. And then in verse 24 he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, again the doing. Sometimes I just really, and I think probably you are in the same boat, I struggle to understand what God is expecting. I think he says one thing, and then he seems to be saying something else. In those times, I always have to remind myself that the things that seem to be contradictory are not. That our God is good, and He doesn't lie, and He doesn't want to lead us astray. And that the things that He asks us to do are right, even if I can't figure them out at the time. And then I have to ask God to help me to figure them out. And sometimes that consists of talking with someone. Sometimes that And and no joke, I don't have everything figured out. So I'm thankful for some of you who I can bounce thoughts off of. I can share my struggles with. And you can help me kind of get to a place of truth as I study the scripture. Here in verse 24, Jesus says that the one who hears his words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And for this reason, when the rains come down, when the rivers rise, and when the winds blow... His house stands. It won't fall. And why? Because it's built on the rock. Hearing and doing and saying and doing is not enough. You can do all, we've mentioned this before, you can do all the right things in the world. And they, they could amount to nothing. Nothing. And you can say all the right things in the world. And when eternity comes, they could amount to nothing. Our words and actions aren't enough in and of themselves. They have to have a deeper foundation than sound and physical change. And this is the key to understanding what Jesus is saying in verses 21 through 27. This is really, really, really important, y'all. It's kind of like Jesus was saying earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, when he said this. He said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. We can do the right thing, but for the wrong reason, and spiritually, like eternally, it will benefit us nothing. It will be zilch, none. And Jesus' example here from Matthew 6 about people giving and just having trumpets to to draw attention to them as they're giving illustrates this perfectly. They gave so people would look at them and think, oh, how great of people they are. They didn't give to honor God. They gave to honor themselves. In essence, these individuals are doing a good thing, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're not doing it for God's glory. And Jesus goes on to share how we are to live and give following those verses in in, about giving, he says this. He says, but when you give, do not let your left hand, I almost did this one, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what's he saying? He's saying, don't give for other people to look at you and think good things about you Give for God's glory, for his recognition. And when you do that, because he sees everything that's done in secret, you don't have to have other people see it. A few weeks ago, I mentioned um, Milton Hershey, Mr. Hershey, and how he had given his fortune to um, the trust that now is the Milton uh, the Milton Hershey School, and um, he, how he did it all before he died, which is pretty remarkable, but... I think what I didn't mention was that he did all of that in secret. Actually, only came out years later um, because of some, some financial documents um, that had to be published that people found out what he had done. Mr. Hershey didn't give up his fortune so that other people would think well of him. He did it because it was the right thing to do. He did it for those kids, and he did it for God. That's incredibly remarkable because it's so rare, I think. You know, today people, people still give their fortunes to nonprofits. They do it all the time, but typically when they do it, they have a press conference and announce it. You know, they, and they, they do it to draw some attention. Even no matter how selfless it is, oftentimes there's something about themselves that they want applauded. Very few do it in secret. Doing it in secret validates your motivation. And that's what Jesus is getting at in verses 21 to 23. It's easy to say, Lord, Lord, with no heart. And one can even possibly do the right thing with a lack of proper motivation. Yet, without the right heart posture... The words and the actions, even casting out demons and even prophesying and even doing miracles, is worthless. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13 says this. It's familiar to many of you, but Paul writes this. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast but I do not have love, I gain nothing. This is the sentiment that Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 7. It's not... Just the Yes, the actions are important. Yes, the words are important. But they're wholly unimportant, wholly lacking value if they're not done with the right heart. And if they're not done with the right heart, what Jesus says will happen is this. He will say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. And he concludes this section by drawing the distinction between the wise and the foolish. In this dichotomy, Jesus paints that picture of the builders building on rock or on sand. I don't know if, have you ever gone to the beach and just like stood at the water's edge and let the water kind of rush over your feet? And after it comes in and goes out just one or two times, your feet start to sink into the sand. I don't know if, that, if you've ever done that. I, yeah, yeah, we've done that. I've done that. Or, or build a sandcastle and build a really massive like sandcastle, and you're just so proud of it, and you go home for the night, you come back the next day, and it is gone. It's not there. So overnight the tides come in, and the water has rushed over it time, and time again, and finally it just dissolves into, into nothing. Sand is not solid. It shifts, and it washes away. People and structures that rest upon it are also going to wash away, Jesus says. This is the story of the foolish builder. He builds his ha- house on sand. So the rains come, the winds blow, the streams rise, and his house falls. When I read this, I think to myself, why would anybody ever do that? Who in their right mind would build a house on sand? Right? Who would build their house next to the ocean? And then you go to Myrtle Beach, or you go to Ocean City, or you go wherever you want, and you find house after house after house after house that is built on the sand by the ocean that inevitably, at some point, is going to be hit by a hurricane or washed away. And you think, why would they do that? Well, it's beautiful. There's lots of things kind of tempting you to build a house right there beside the water. you got beautiful sunrises. You have, you know, just the water there and the sand, and it's great, and Lots of things tempting you to do something that you probably shouldn't do. And then I start to think, but that isn't restricted to physical houses. How many of us have kind of like metaphorically built our lives on sand? Right? A lot of us have. And we've done it in a variety of ways, we've done a lot of different things. Some of us. You know some of us have fallen in love with the wrong person because they're pretty or they're handsome. I've never had that problem <laughs> not pretty, yes, the handsome part no <laughs> woo i'm gonna I'm gonna hear about that one when I get home i uh so uh <laughs> Oh, man, how am I going to recover from that? <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she, she's got some... Yeah, take a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, th- please intercede for me right now. Yes, yes. In all seriousness, though, no, like how many of us have, have done that? Or we, maybe you haven't done this, but plenty of people do. We marry for money or prestige. We marry for something that's not real healthy. How many of us we work so hard at our job, and we're there. I'm sorry, I just saw a deer running across there, uh, and another one. Oh my goodness, look at that. Um, we we pursue our job at the expense of our family. We work night and day, day and night. We travel all the time, and we're not home very much. Because it's what's really important. Because we have to build up a nest egg, or we have to provide financially. How, how many of us invest our kids in, in sports and activities, or as students, we're in sports and activities and all this other stuff, and it crowds out all the other important stuff. We make the what is eternally, what eternally lacks importance most important. And I'm not saying that you should just like quit your job or run away from your, not saying run away from your spouse. I'm not saying that you shouldn't play sports or have activities. but I think sometimes sometimes they become our, our foundation in our life. We build upon them. And I think what Jesus is just trying to help us see here is that those things are sand that one day, your beauty is going to fade. That hasn't happened yet. I'm trying to win it back. <laughs> <Keep> <laughs> it going. But it's going to happen. And someday, your money could go away. And at one point, as, some, as Mike found out, you could fall and hurt yourself. And your athletic career could be over. All of it is going to go away in one way or the other at some point. It's not going to be there anymore. And if that's what your life is built upon, it's sand. And Jesus is saying we've got to stop prioritizing hobbies and sports and education and travel and and even our our marriages and children over Christ. They cannot be our priority. Because if they are, they're going to wash away and we are going to be left with nothing. We are going to literally drown when the waves come and the winds blow and the rivers rise. And um, what Jesus is getting at, I think in 21 to 23, and also 24 through 27, is that it's not just about the time we spend here, or the the building, or reading here in this building, or reading our Bibles, or serving those in need, or praying, or spending time with your family, or going to work, or your marriage, or your activities, or your schoolwork. You know, not that any none of those are ter- totally unimportant, but they can all be important, but they only find their importance when we're doing them with the right heart, when Christ is at the center. He helps us to find balance in those things, and He He gives them purpose. He gives them value. And I think, I think what, when we begin to do and hear and, and, and confess Jesus is Lord, and we do that all with the right heart, then we are gaining. But if we are just confessing Him as Lord, and we're just doing things for Him, and we're just hearing a sermon or a Bible study, without the heart, we are gaining nothing. I am... There, um, there's gonna be, a, there's gonna come a time for judgment, right? There's gonna come a time when we have to stand before Jesus, and that it's pretty apparent from verses 21 to, to 23 when Jesus says that to some of us he's gonna say away from me. And I, um, I think that some of us don't realize that. Where we feel guilty about telling each other that sometimes, because then we're going to have to step on each other's toes, but at the end of the day, that's really the loving thing that we can do. I want you to know today that at some point, there's going to be a judgment. You're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to like give an account. And when you're there, and you're telling them all these great things you've done, the number of hours you've put in at work, or the number of like, basketball games that you've coached for your kid's team, right? or the number of dinner dates that you took your wife out on, you know, or the amount of flowers that you bought her, or the number of hours you logged like, coming in to serve at the church, to clean the church, or to teach a Bible study, or uh, to lead a mission trip. And you go through all these things, And there's no heart behind them. There's no motivation, like doing it because we love Jesus because of what he has done for us, like because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, like, and we have been redeemed by Him, that our identity is in Him, and we're now doing these things by His power and in His strength, and and because He's our identity, Jesus is gonna say to you, Away from me. I don't know you. And I think sometimes we don't really kind of, we're talking about this in youth group this morning, we don't really process what that means. There's a reason, like, hell is described as an eternal fire. Think about that, what that would feel like if you were burning and never died for all eternity. And um, that's how some of us are living. Well, that's the destiny to which some of us are living right now. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, the whole point of the Gospel, the whole reason Jesus came to this earth, like the reason He, he was born, like He took on the very nature of a servant, the Scripture tells us, like he, he was God himself, and he was born and then he lived a life where he was rejected by pretty much everybody, except for a few. And then he was beaten up for it, and he was crucified for it. He was killed and, and, and the even worse than being killed on the cross, he was separated from his father. Like he literally went to hell. He took that burning on for us. The reason all that happened is because you are treasured by God. It's because He loves you. It's because even though you've chased after every other thing and you continually chase after every other thing, He still, for some unfathomable reason, wants you. and he wants to help you through the power of his holy spirit he he wants to like change you here now not just when you get to eternity but now like he wants to give you what you need to like deny sin and live in a proper way to not just do good things but he wants you to give to give you the heart to do them for the right reasons And he loves you enough that if you, if you say no to that, he will discipline you. So some of us, like sometimes we, um, we either n- never have a relationship with Jesus, or like we st- start one and then we start to do our own thing after that. And um, life gets really hard and painful like sometimes like up will seem like down and down will seem like up and everything will seem to go wrong and we lose hope and like there's just a lot of struggle and, and hurt and and we start saying what's going on? Sometimes what's going on is God's trying to win you back. You say well, that's like a really weird way of trying to win me back, right? Like but that's a lot of times what he's trying to do. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. There's a difference between, we talked about this in, funny how things parallel youth group in here, but like, discipline and punishment are two different things. Punishment is kind of getting even with somebody. It's giving you hardship because you have given hardship. It's like, um, like prison primarily is punishment. But discipline has a teaching element to it. It's like, yeah, things are going to get hard, and you might have things taken away from you. like. But it's meant to d- do something like healthy in your life, to teach you something. So when I was a kid, like I would, believe it or not, would do things wrong. And um, I remember one time, I, did, I forget what, oh, my sister and I were fighting, and I hit her with a wiffle ball bat. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> You've been there. You've done things like this. So um uh, and so my mom drug me upstairs, sat me down at my desk in my bedroom, and like took her arm and like cleared off the the um, desk and sat my dinner down, and she said, you are going to eat here tonight because you need to learn that you cannot treat your sister that way. And I'm sure with her there was like a little bit of unholiness mixed in with holiness into that situation. As a parent, I can totally relate to that. Um, but the point was it was discipline for the most part. She wanted me to learn a lesson even though she had to do something painful she had to take something away from me like she wanted to do it because she knew that the future would hold more promise for me if I could learn this lesson. for some of you that God does that because you're you're incredibly valuable to him because he loves you because because you are his inheritance and um if that's you right now, God wants you to know that um, He loves you, and He wants to heal you, and He doesn't want this to go on forever. And uh, He just, as, if you could just learn the lesson, if you will just ask Him to help you learn the lesson, you will be able to progress through this, and um, there, and, and you will, He, He will take this terrible situation that you're going through and turn it into something great. Like he redeems everything if we give him the the opportunity. I don't know how that works, but it does. But we have to have the right heart. I um. I have been praying a lot for our church. Um, over the past five months that I've been here. One of the most like persistent prayers that I have offered is that. God would help us as a church to know Him more personally and more intimately and allow Him into our lives so that He can reveal how real He is and through that He can change us. Because I I've kind of struggled and I, I've come to the realization that as, if I even was like the best preacher in the world, I would be powerless to change you. It wasn't like just you guys, but like anybody. Sorry, that wasn't fair. Um, so, like anybody, um, I would be powerless to change you. doesn't matter how eloquent I am or how big of words I use, only God can do that. But to come here every Sunday and just hear me talk, even if I was the best speaker ever, and then go home and have no change, or come here and act one way, and then go out of here and act a completely different way, is just kind of like an act of futility. And that is not my desire for you. Our God loves us so much that he wants to change us He wants our lives to be built upon this rock. (laughs) But we are powerless to do that on our own. We need him pretty much to do it for us. So that's why I've been praying for you. And that's why today, um, I want to close by praying. Um, The scripture tells us um, that um, in Matthew 19.26, Jesus says, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God can change our hearts to want to do the right things for the right reasons. He can change our hearts so that we can do what we're supposed to do and do it with the right heart. But we need Him to do that. Because we're hopelessly lost to do it on our own. Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And Ezekiel 36.26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Paul echoes this sentiment in 2 Corinthians when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If you want your life to be built upon the rock, if you don't want to just say, Lord, Lord, and not really mean it, or if, if you want to actually, but actually mean it, <laughs> and if you actually want to do some really great things for the Lord, like, I don't, I don't know if it will be prophesied, I don't know that it would be like doing a miracle, but just do anything of value, eternal value for the Lord, you're going to need His help to do it. And the way we get His help is through prayer. And so here's where I, I thought we, we would close. This um, it's going to be a little different, but I think it'll be good. I would love for us to to break up into groups, and um, I, I'm going to have like a group like maybe like right right here, um, and then maybe like a group. Mickey, I'm going to ask you to move. I'm really sorry, but and Jeff, but if you guys could like after like this row here, if like you guys could all come together, and then you guys could come together, and um, I know this is, like, again, I'm asking, like, y'all to, like, move and do things and stuff. So uh, some people, how rude, I know, and some people don't like it. Um, if uh, I'm not, I, what I'm going to ask you to do is come together, and I'm going to ask one person in each group uh, to pray for the group, but pray over the group. Um, Bill, would you might be willing to pray for this group? And um, maybe Jeff, would you be willing to pray for your group? Okay, And um, Adrian, would you be willing to pray for for your group? And what I'm going to ask you to pray is that God will give us what we need to have the right heart. He will change our hearts so that we can not just say, Lord, Lord, and not mean it, or we can do good things but be heartless about it, but that we can have the heart we need, that he will give us the heart we need to do things so that they have value and substance. Okay? So, and you can pray that however you want over your group. Uh, And so um, let's do that now. Now, when you pray as a group, don't. um, I'm not going to ask you to hold hands today, but like, uh, (laughs) if you were here a few weeks ago, I wouldn't let go of their hands, like Luke's hands, and he was kind of embarrassed, but it was fun. Um, So, uh, but. Be engaged in the prayer, okay? One person's going to pray, but each of you be agreeing with it in your spirits. Be open to it. like be, be active in that. You can say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or amen, or hallelujah, or just sit there quietly and in your head be agreeing. Anything's okay, but be engaged in it, okay? And then we're going to come back together and we're going to close with one more song after that. So get together. you got to move for this, so move together. Um, again, you don't have to touch, but be close, and um, we'll pray. <laughs> I need to do this more often because I figure out who can be like our leader organizers and who's just really going to struggle with that. Like which groups come together really quickly. This one was like, boom, like together. And others, and then Jeff got his in a circle, which was awesome. And Adrian was like praying over everybody. Like it was like I see everybody's gifts and skills, and it really helps to know how to use you guys. But I, uh, I just want to encourage you. Like we've been talking about this morning. It's not just about what you do. It's about how you do it. What is the heart behind that? And it's not just about doing it here; it's about doing it out there as well. And it's about, <laughs> and ultimately, it's about always doing it for Him. So why don't we? Why don't we sing? We're going to sing one last song. We want to invite you to stand and um, uh, sing with not just your mouth, but with your heart. And let's tell God how great He is, how thankful for Him we are, how much we love Him. And then we'll close up. So let's let's worship. Mm-hmm. As you go, that's our hope and our prayers that he will be the cornerstone, he will be the foundation, he will be the rock upon which you build your life. And he will be the motivation for everything that you do so that everything you do and everything you say will have substance and value through him and in him. Uh, as Before you leave, we are about to have a lunch. Um, and I just wanted you to know the first time we went